Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The CX Cast. This is Jenny Wise, and today I'm joined in studio by the newest senior analyst on the customer experience team here at Forrester, Judy Weeder. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining. While you're new to analyst world, this is not your first time on the podcast and also not your first time at Forrester. Correct. So I've been everything. I've been a Forrester client. Then I became an advisor on the Customer Experience Council, Mm -hmm. and now I'm a senior analyst. So how long have you been at Forrester? So for Forrester, I've been with the company for almost four years, and the majority of that time I was with the Customer Experience Council. And Customer Experience is the area where I've been for about the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like a natural move to come into analyst world. Yeah, so I'd love to talk a little bit more about what you were doing before. Yeah, so I mean, if we go back to the very dawn of time, mm-hmm. right after college. So I was a government contractor for a number of years and worked on a lot of really amazing client sites, the National Library of Medicine, the 1997 Presidential Inaugural Committee. So that was my time in IT. That was my trial by fire mm-hmm. going through IT and then moved up to the Boston area and worked for a number of very prominent firms. At the time, Houghton Mifflin Company, now Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, worked at the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston, worked at an e-commerce incubator. And over a couple of years, then I eventually took this sort of left turn into Mm -hmm. healthcare, which is where customer experience then dovetails in. And I went to work at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Rhode Island working on their member engagement program. And at that point, then we were in that nascent stage around customer experience. Mm -hmm. And it was where I got to partner with my then boss who agreed that we needed to do something more around customer experience. And he was connected to Forrester through the Customer Experience Council. And so that was the beginning of everything. So like not long after that, we built the idea for the customer experience program and then I built and led that for a few years until I came to Forrester. Now, I was going to ask you, when you were there, was it being called customer experience or was it something that was so new that it was just being launched? So we called it customer experience when it became that. Mm-hmm. It started out as member engagement. And then when the program that that was under ended up being taken off of the strategic priorities list because we were just changing our strategy as companies do, then that was a great opportunity to pivot. And we said, you know, we're going to stop just thinking about members. Mm-hmm. We want to think about everybody. And then it became that broader concept of customer experience because it can be really easy, especially in the health insurer context, to think of the customer as the member. But it's not always just the member. You also have to think about the employer group groups that you're working with. And they're typically a huge part of your book of business. So taking that expanded view, we then started to think about customer experience. And that really opened up a lot of people's eyes and created a lot of conversations that we hadn't previously had. I'm wondering when you were doing that, was part of your role sort of evangelizing and explaining what this was and why it was important to take this perspective? Or oh, was yeah. there sort of buy-in and everyone was like, great, I love this perspective. Oh, no. Yeah. I was busier than a one-armed paper hanger. Yeah, I was doing everything. Imagine. So this is around the same time as healthcare reform is spinning up. And so there was a lot of change happening in the healthcare world. And what that ultimately meant was that I had to think about what do we mean when we say customer experience mm-hmm. and create a definition? What do we mean when we say customer? What do we mean when we say customer experience? How are we going to measure it? How are we going to manage it? And then it became all of those cultural aspects. So I was socializing to anybody who would stand still long enough and getting them to think about that standard question of how does this help 
the member? Or what would a member say? What would an employer say? And so that became something that over the course of time, when I didn't have to be in the room mm -hmm. and someone would ask, well, what's the impact to the customer going to be? I felt right. like this is the best validation yeah. ever. I mean, you don't have to be in the room all the time. But yeah, there was a lot of socializing. So building the strategy and actually implementing it, running the measurement program, working with various stakeholders around the organization, helping them think through product design, doing mm -hmm. product testing and research, and just kind of getting a better understanding of how we can support our customers by working with everybody around mm -hmm. the organization, not just one area. So I wasn't confined to just customer service right. or just product or just marketing. I basically went everywhere mm -hmm. and sort of dared people to push me out of the room. That is great because what you just said touches on so many things that people and our listeners are still trying to do today. Even thinking of the definition of what is the customer experience, right? And how do we think about the customer? I feel like this should be a metric of success, right? How many times do people ask about the customer and the customer experience yeah. just in their meetings in different parts of the organization when you're not there? Because that's really a measure of success that this message has spread and that people are on board and beginning to become more customer centric. And it was great. It was this wonderful feeling of, oh, I'm getting through to people. Or mm -hmm. I had built an, and then ran a class, a CX 101. And one of the things that I'd ask people to do was think about the things that are within your span of control. Because right. a lot of what we tell people to do is you're going to fix everything about customer experience, but then we don't necessarily give them the tools or the training. And so I was just starting off at that 101 level of what is customer experience and what's my role to play in delivering a great customer experience. And maybe a few weeks after I had run this one cohort, one of the people who'd taken the class came up to me and said, I just want you to know, because of that class, I redesigned one of our product flyers. I thought it was kind of hard to understand. Mm -hmm. And so I brought it to some friends and I said, right. do you understand this? Does this make sense to you? And they said, no. Yeah, fast they, user testing. Right. They, it was user testing. And so they gave me all this great feedback. And then from there, she went on to tell me about how she had redesigned it. And now it was clearer language plainer English, yeah. much easier to understand. And so it was just going to make that entire product easier for people to be able to want to purchase because then they knew what it was. Right. And confident in their purchase too. Absolutely. But before she'd taken that class, she didn't feel empowered to do that. Yeah, so it's just kind of an interesting little nugget. But it was those moments that, as I used to tell the clients that I worked with when I was on the Customer Experience Council, it's not always going to be something big. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's going to be those little moments that you find and you're going to have to have those sustain you because otherwise it can be really exhausting right. doing this job because you're always trying to make everything better and right. you don't always see those results like five minutes later. Yeah, it can seem like an endless uphill battle, but there yep. are these little wins, but that make a really big impact, right? Yeah. Changing the language and a policy or description or on a site can really change the customer experience. So it sounds like you have done a lot, <laughs> even just then, right? We're talking about what is the definition? How do you begin to start this program, evangelize it, motivate and empower people, and also really think about the entire ecosystem, yeah. right? It's not just the customer, but the entire ecosystem that's supporting it and delivering on it as well. So when did you come to Forrester and what motivated that and what changed or continued about what you were working on? Yeah, so it was, it was just an interesting time at Blue Cross as times are always interesting in the healthcare space. And I had this opportunity, this fortuitous lunch with my then advisor, because I was on the council, and we were just talking about what we both wanted and what we both needed at that point in our lives. And one of the things that was really important to me is wanting to help people, because mm -hmm. that's sort of the hallmark. 
Anybody who's in customer experience who doesn't want to help people is probably in the wrong line of business. And the other thing was I also wanted to learn. And I felt like I needed to find a way to boost those opportunities. And so this became sort of a personal professional development thing for me. And it wasn't necessarily thinking about the Sheryl Sandberg kind of approach of leaning in, but it was that idea of really saying, I deserve this. I'm at this point in my career where I feel like I could propel myself forward, but I need a boost. And so as we're having this conversation, it just happened that there was an opening on the council. I wanted to learn. Forrester is a place where you can drink from a fire hose and learn a lot. Just even by being in the building, mm -hmm. you can learn a lot. And so it was just this really great opportunity. So I went for it and came over and then had the opportunity to work with so many customer experience leaders from around the world. I've supported folks in North America. I've supported folks in ANZ, talked with folks in Europe. And it's been such an amazing learning opportunity. But then the opportunity to be able to help people is right. fantastic. Yeah, and for those listeners who maybe are less familiar with what our council actually is, can you do a quick overview of, sort of what is the council? Sure. Also, just what are some of the new learnings that you got from working with everyone? Oh, yeah. So Customer Experience Council is a global peer network of people who are identified sort of by role. So within the Customer Experience Council, it's primarily people who are leaders in customer experience, user experience, and employee experience. And there are a bunch of different councils. That one just happened to be the one that I absolutely wanted to jump into because it was where I had been. About 300 leaders worldwide right now. And the way you connect with each other is you have this advisor who is your guru and your coach. But then you also have access to other peers. You can come to events that are virtual or in person, access to the analysts and the research. So it's this really great, comprehensive connection. Mm -hmm. And then as far as, you know, things that I learned, I worked primarily with B2B folks and people who are in challenging areas, mm -hmm. like pharmaceuticals, where you have lots of different so like these challenging industries. I'm catching a oh. theme here. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, it's all good stuff. The thing is, if you want to make the world a better place, you're not going to do it by sitting on the sidelines and watching the clouds go by. You're going to have to get in there and help. And it's not always going to be with the easiest of things. Mm -hmm. So helping out in, say, pharmaceuticals and getting people to think about, well, what's the impact to the patient? What's the impact to the caregiver? Because you don't want to forget about the caregiver. There's often someone there in the middle. What's the impact to the provider's office? Because the healthcare provider is often dealing with lots of different challenges and they don't have time for your drama because they're trying to deliver care to a patient. The insurers, the regulators, there are lots of different people. So thinking about how you can identify the specific customers who you need to help in a given circumstance and then mm -hmm. how are you going to help them and not just do that within one silo, say one therapeutic area, but how do you do that across silos consistently so that you can leverage the scale of your organization? So we had lots of conversations around stuff like that and B2B firms in particular often found it challenging just because you have so many more people who are involved. It's not just a one-to-one -one. and talking through how you do things like customer research, journey mapping, and even socializing. There's just so many different peculiarities with B2B. It leverages all the same tools, but sometimes it can be hard to translate that if you're not super familiar with trying to do that. And your bosses may not understand unless you come to them and say, here's a specific B2B example right. of a company that's doing yeah. this. That is something that I know we talk about internally all the time here yeah. at Forrester, which is that so many of the frameworks and pieces of advice that we give are applicable to any company. And whether you are B2B, B2C, B2B2C, whatever that model is, at the end of the day, there is some human who yeah. is interacting, experiencing, questioning. And so, so many frameworks do translate. But you're right, it's always at the from B2B companies, you know, what is the B2B example, right? Or how right. do I know this works in my industry? So it is really important to take that lens 
just so that people feel like they can really relate to it and run with it. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because it's this terrible, I don't know if it's a paradox, but people want to be the first one, but they also don't want to be the first one. They want to be the trailblazer, but right behind someone else who's already found all the traps. That's like they tested and failed and now we just get to take the learning and go. Right. It's awesome because then we can get it done in five minutes, whereas it took them a year. It's rarely ever that easy. So having a lot of conversations with folks in B2B, connecting them with each other, that was always one of the things I really liked. But also getting them to see how they could apply Mm -hmm. all of these things to what they're trying to do and the things that they need to be thinking about. So how do you apply the employee experience index and consider how that is a greater part of delivering on your customer experience vision? Because if you're not thinking about that, then you're not going to make as much progress as you really want to because you're missing out on an important component. But if all you can think of is, I just need customer experience, then you miss it. So a lot of what I got to do was kind of open people's eyes to the possibilities of the things that they needed to consider. Right. I think that's a good segue into what will you continue doing (laughs) along some of those threads now that you are an analyst. Of course, we know we have some questions around B2B. It sounds like you will be very helpful in answering some of those. But are there any other key themes or topics that you have on your plan? Yeah. So number one is going to be prioritization. And yes, um, number one for so many companies too. Very helpful. It's the number one priority. We got to prioritize. Yes. yes. Yeah. So I'll be working on that and refreshing our research on prioritization. I'm also working on some pieces related to the return on investment, ROI Mm -hmm. of CX, because that's another piece of it. I feel very strongly about this. And I know Harley Manning has blogged about this several times within the last couple months about the importance of understanding how you can quantify the value that you're providing. If you can't do that, it is absolutely much harder battle than it needs to be to get funding, to get resources, and frankly, even to get attention right. from your executives. And to keep resources too, yeah. right? Because companies, nowadays, we've seen this trend that they're beginning to hire CX teams. They sort of have them for a few years, and then sometimes you begin to see the numbers go down because they're having an impact, but they haven't been able to quantify and prove and sell that they've had this impact internally. Right. And so I had actually done the research that went into that predictions bullet about a quarter of CX professionals losing their jobs in 2020, because that was the trend that we've been seeing over the last couple of years, that it was a little bit below that. But we're seeing that that's coming up even more. ROI is really important. So I'll be writing a bit about that as well. I have a case study coming up on a financial services firm, and I definitely want to dip into culture as well because that's an area that's of great passion and importance for me. And I'm also going to be picking up some of our government coverage as well because I'm a native of Washington, D.C., and having been a government contractor and and knowing that whole world pretty well, it's an area that I'm pretty familiar with. Well, great. Well, Judy, we are so excited to have you as the newest member of the team. These are really important topics, prioritization, ROI. People will be dying to see this research when it comes out. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Listeners, I'm going to include a few links to research that has already been published with Judy's name on it. And also be sure to keep an eye out for future research to come. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Talk to you next week.